Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. to the Lord. Thank you. Thank you for being in service. You may be seated. We're going to continue on this morning with our discipleship project. Series for this quarter is Faithful to the Truth. And today, Brother Toby so eloquently started us off, study to show yourselves approved. Second Timothy 2 and 15, you can find that and join me there. Aren't you thankful to be in church today? It does feel good to be in the house of the Lord. feels good to be back together. We've been separated for so long in certain, certain ways, and I'm thankful to be back in the house of the Lord together this morning. Second Timothy 2 and 15, the Bible says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So study, study to show yourself approved, and that's what we're going to talk about today, study to show yourself approved. Over 2,000 years ago, two parents entered a Jewish temple. It was in the city of Jerusalem, and they entered to perform a very common ceremony according to the Jewish law. It was tradition that 40 days subsequent, a mother giving birth to a child, that she would bring that child to the priest, and she would present him or her before the, the priest in the temple. Jewish tradition ceremonial law would require of them a sacrifice, a lamb, or in this case, two birds. It was for the ritual cleansing of the mother and the dedication of that child to God. However, this particular day would be no ordinary day. When these two parents entered the Jewish synagogue that that faithful morning, this would be no ordinary day and this would be no ordinary ceremony the reason that was is because in this particular instance the mother was Mary and the father Joseph Jesus earthly parents and this would be no ordinary day because this is the Messiah he would be the savior of the world this is not all of what makes this particular story both intriguing and very important to what we'll speak about in particular today. What makes this story very intriguing and very important to what we're going to talk about through the course of our morning is the entire cast of characters that we are presented to in this particular instance. You see, there was a devout man. 
His name was Simeon. And God had revealed to him some very important facts. God had revealed to him some very important things. And God had given him an immensely merciful promise for his life. God revealed to him that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. And on that faithful day, on that day that Mary and Joseph arrived to present Jesus at the temple, the Bible says that the Spirit likewise brought Simeon there as well. Luke 2 and 28 through 32 tells us that Simeon took him up in his arms, speaking of Jesus, and blessed God and said, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The Bible says that Mary and Joseph marveled at what he said. They marveled at everything that was being said before them, but they had to be even more amazed when a prophetess by the name of Anna comes into this picture. She began to praise and she began to magnify God. And Luke 2 and 38 says she came in in an instant. She gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. This was no choice or ordinary encounter. This was no coincidental occurrence. But what this was, was a divinely orchestrated event to secure the scriptural evidence of a coming Messiah. It was to fulfill the prophecy of old. And in and of itself, it also fulfilled scriptural law. For Deuteronomy 19 and 15 says that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. And so this occurrence was not just a common occurrence. It was common in their day, but this particular instance happened for a reason. It was to reveal to the onlooker and to confirm to these faithful few that what they knew to be true in the word of God was in fact true in the word of God. You see, both Simeon and Anna knew what to look for because they were familiar and they were faithful students to the word of God. And so I submit to you this morning that it is absolutely plausible and it is absolutely possible to live through prophetic events in any given lifetime. We have evidence. But I'll take it one step forward. I'll say that it's this. It's even possible to live in and to live through prophetic events and not even realize it. Let that sink in for a moment. It's possible, it's probable, it's plausible that we could live through prophetic events in our lifetime. These events have occurred throughout history, and I believe that they could even be occurring as we speak. But here's the crux of the matter. If we know the Word of God, if we know his word and if we study his word, 
we will know what to look for. Faithfulness to God. Faithfulness to his word aligned both Simeon and Anna with the Lord's prophetic plan and personally engaged them in its process. How exciting is that? That two people could be living through and in a time that was prophetically pronounced in Scripture. How exciting would that be for us today to be living through prophetically pronounced events that could be happening as we speak. I wonder if I'm the only one that's excited about that today. God has called us for such a time as this. And so there were certainly other people in Jerusalem that day. There were other people in the temple. There were other people around the temple grounds. There were, there were people in the courts, and, and life was being carried out in the city just like it had been carried out the day before that and the day before that and the day before that. But in all the obliviousness, all the oblivious interactions and transactions that were happening and taking place all around them, two people, Simeon and Anna, were zeroed in on the most significant event of their lifetime. But I submit to you today that it was not by chance. It was their familiarity to Scripture that caused Simeon and Anna to look for the coming Messiah. Simeon and Anna were walking in ordered steps. God has always been and God will always be a God of order. He's the author of it. From the moment before he began to lay out the foundations of the world, he had a plan before he ever uttered his voice to bring about life out of the black void that was this earth, God had a plan, and his plan was Jesus Christ himself. Peter told the New Testament church that they were bought with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last days for you. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world. That Greek word, world, translated cosmos, means an orderly arrangement. It means an apt or a harmonious arrangement or constitution. It specifically speaks to order or government. And the New Testament writers would have written this. They would have associated it with perfect order or an ordered system. And so we see right in the beginning, right in the beginning of time, when, when, when we are given the word of God, he, he is already a God of order. He didn't try to make this stuff up as he went. He already had a plan in place. He already had a plan in place for your life before you were even a thought. It was already taken care of. He is a God of order. God is not fickle. He does not change on a dime. The Lord is constant. He doesn't present himself one day one way and then present himself in a contradictory way the next day. He doesn't change himself or he doesn't represent himself differently because he's inner inner because he's faced with certain stimuli or certain certain things that transact in his own life. Not, not like us. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't change who he is based on things that happen to him. What he sets in place, 
God keeps in place. What God puts in order, he keeps in order. If he said it was wrong back then, guess what? It's still wrong today. Just because the world is changing doesn't mean that God is changing. He simply doesn't change his mind. He doesn't thwart his plan. He doesn't divert from his purpose based on external experience. God doesn't get rattled. God doesn't get confused and then switch things up. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14 and 33, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. The very implication of the word peace here means order and harmony. In this particular letter to the Corinthian church, Paul was discussing the exercising of spiritual gifts in public worship. Now, Simeon and Anna lived in a time before Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected. He had not poured out his spirit as of yet, but principles in Scripture were already set in place. The Word says that the Spirit led Simeon to the temple. The Word says that the Spirit led Anna to do what she did. And by his Spirit, Simeon and Anna were in agreement with his written Word. And so it's very important that we just kind of bring everything down here for a moment and make a connection here. The Spirit and the Word go hand and hand. They can, they can be separated, but when they are, you have chaos. So by His Spirit, the Lord moved Simeon. By his spirit, the Lord moved Anna in agreement with his word. And so let's make this connection. Any kind of prompting that any person receives from the spirit, capital S, from the spirit of God, hear me now, it will always line up with his written word. Let me say that again. Anything that anybody receives of the Lord, if it is of the Lord, it will not violate his word. God does, God has, God will, hear me now, speak outside of this book, but it will never violate, never violate this book. First Thessalonians 5 and 20, despise not prophesying, prove all things, Hold fast that which is good. And so it is absolutely important that we don't allow the prophetic to, to scare us or to, to cause us to back away. We cannot, we cannot afford to play down or despise the prophetic. Hear me now. Prophecy is what is an integral part of who we are. Prophecy is somewhat what got us here today. It's who we are. It's who he is, and it's an integral part of what we're doing. However, the prophetic must be held in stark comparison to the word of God. Simeon was able to identify Jesus. Simeon was able to prophesy over him without any outward indication that he was the Messiah. None whatsoever. And so this kind of discernment only comes from a product of knowing the word of God. Of God. Because Simeon knew the word of God, 
Simeon was able to recognize the voice of God. And so they will always go hand in hand. Likewise, as a prophetess, Anna, Anna must have been well acquainted with the word. Her, her exact age is not known. The Bible says in Luke that she was of a great age. She was a prophetess of the daughter Fanuel, and she was a widow of about four score or four years. Some commentaries could put her at the age of 105 as much or as low as 84. So we don't know how old she was. We don't know exactly a lot of background about her. But what we do know is what the Bible says about her in Luke 2 and 37. The Bible says that she was a widow of about four score and four years. And here's the important part, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. Let me say that again. Which departed not from the temple. Now, this does not necessarily mean that she lived there night and day and never left. But what it does absolutely and emphatically speaks to is the direct devotion to the temple of God. She spent her life there. She spent her life there. She found her purpose there. She found her identity there. And she served God with her whole heart. With her whole heart. She loved God. And she loved the work of God. And being in God's house of prayer consumed her. It was the focus of her life. And she gave all her energy and all her energy in prayer and in serving God. Her constant exposure and her heartfelt desire to be in God's house led to her ability to recognize, hear me now, to recognize the move of God. And so that is why it is so absolutely inherently important that we keep ourselves in the presence of God and in his word. They go hand in hand and we must do that often. This is 2 Timothy 2 and 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Paul affirmed to Timothy the importance of not just reading the word, hear me now, but studying the word of God. His principle places the responsibility on an individual to both search the scriptures and rightly divide them. And so this is probably where I can get on a tangent, maybe on a rabbit, chase it for just a second maybe. This is where the early, not the early church, but the subsequent early church got it wrong. When they began to take the word of God out of the hands of the people, you're not worthy. You're not worthy to, to look on this stuff. You're not worthy to study this stuff. Let us take it over for you. We'll tell you what you need to do. I don't mean any disrespect, but they started putting in regional directors over certain areas of the of the of the of the their their sphere of influence. They called them popes. They began to call them. They began political and 
religious leaders, to be religious and political leaders. They took, they took the word of God out of the hands of the people, and we see where that went. It went all wrong. And so that's where you get the Protestant movement. They were tired of not having access to the word of God, and they revolted. They protested against that. But here's the thing. They failed to go back to the root. They failed to go back to the, to the source. They failed to go back, and they carried some of those things over with them. And so that is why it is absolutely so important that we get ourselves in the word of God and let it talk to us about what he wants us to do. It is so absolutely important that we rightly divide the word so that we will know how to rightly live. And so just a few things to consider this morning about this particular scripture. First, notice Paul states, we study to show ourselves unto God. Very important. We don't study to impress our friends. We don't study to impress man with our knowledge of the word, but we study to show God that we are committed to him and that we are committed to his righteousness. Secondly, we study, and we have to understand that study is work. <laughs> study is work. Paul called Timothy a workman. That means laborer. And so we already know that it's going to be work. It's going to be, it's going to be toil. We've got to get in there. We've got, to, we've got to sort this stuff out. It's not going to be easy. It's not all going to come to us just by some light bulb that comes on. There's going to be some things that we're going to have to search out for ourselves. Paul said when he got this revelation, I didn't, I didn't consult with flesh and blood, but I went, I went to God with this. I let God put this in me. And so laborers with no job description, we, we don't know what to do. We don't know what's expected to us to complete the duties that are required of us. Laborers need a word from their superior in order to be able to carry out the activities that, is, that, that will achieve the superior's mission. And so third, we should look at this verse in the, con in the concept of shame. If, if we don't know the word... If we don't know how to rightly divide the word of truth, if we don't really know what it means, first of all, we'll find ourselves ashamed. We can't live in the truth if we don't know the truth. And if we inadvertently teach others untruths because of our own negligence and study of the word, then we compound shame upon shame. And our false teaching, even if it's, if it's offered with good intentions, our false teaching, our false living, it runs the risk and calls others to have shame and be ashamed when they follow after those wrong paths. And hear me today, you can sit there and say, I don't really have anybody following me. I don't have a following. Somebody's following you. Somebody's watching you. You might not know it, but somebody is walking behind you for whatever reason they're walking behind you. And so, but when we, as disciples, as teachers of the word, we diligently study the word, where we draw the lines, where God draws the lines on what's good and evil, not what the world is calling good and evil, then there's no need, there's no need to cause for shame. Hear me today, 
we need to be able to rightly divide the word of truth from the word of God. I'm not looking to the world for what's right and wrong. We're living in a world now that what used to be wrong and what used to be evil is now promoted and promulgated and now it's pushed as a, as a healthy lifestyle. I'm not looking to them. I'm not looking to Washington, D.C. To, to, to try to find out how to live. I'm not looking to Tallahassee to try to find out how to live. Those institutions change personnel and with personnel changes, you can bet there's going to be opinion changes. There's going to be policy changes. It may be one day one way and another day the next. But this word, it never changes. You can wake up in the morning and it's going to say the same thing. You can find it later on in millennials and it will say the same thing. It's a living document. It's good for all ages. It's good for all times. Every situation that you face in life, you can find the principles and the answers in this book. And so I want to keep my eyes on him. I want to keep my eyes on the word. See, when we comprehend God's ways, we don't have room to shame ourselves, nor will we be the blame for others and their shame by living in wrongfully divided scripture. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 2 and 15 in the context of, of, of a portion of Scripture that advised the young man to avoid arguments over unimportant battles and words that could lead people into false doctrine. Verse 15 tells us what we should do, not to be ashamed, but he goes on to say in verse 16 what not to do. 2 Timothy 2 and 16, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And so, we can ill afford to enter into empty, fruitless, good-for-nothing arguments or, or, or speech or anything in just normal, everyday life. We, we, we don't have time for all of that. It'll help nobody. But when it comes to this, when we're discussing this, there's no room for all of that stuff. We can ill afford to engage in empty, irreverent, or pointless talk and it is especially true when we're talking about the Word of God. Hear me today. This is a serious book. This is not a series of short stories made to amuse us. It's not the point of comedy that we can find anything. This is a serious book. The Bible itself says it's a sharp, two-edged sword. And so when we wield this thing, it's made to make one cut, one divide, one right and wrong. There are no grays. There are no in-betweens. This word is a sharp, two-edged sword, and we have the responsibility to handle it with the utmost care and respect. Second Timothy 2 is written from the approach from a context of approaching the truth in the face of persecution and false teaching. And so in this present world, we, we, I don't have to say this goes without saying, but in this present world, false teaching and deception live on every corner. It's just a crouching tiger waiting to pounce on whoever is unsuspecting. And if there were ever a time in this present world that there be some truth seekers and that there be some truth speakers and that there be some truth bearing people, that time is absolutely now. Paul told Timothy, oh, Timothy, 
Keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. He told him in his second epistle, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and make full proof of that ministry. We don't have time for easy believism because it doesn't work. We don't have time to get wrapped up in all this. Is it essential or is it not essential? If the word says that we ought to do it, then we ought to do it. If the word said we ought not to do it, then we ought not to do it. I don't want to get in all wrapped up to that. I can't have itching ears. I can't have a soothing message and a right for me approach to scripture. It's not right for us to have an approach to the word of God with some a la carte mentality. I can't afford to take some and leave others. This is not a situation where we eat the meat and leave the bones, but this is a situation where we must consume the whole counsel of God. The whole matter. The whole counsel. And so I need I need to know the word. You need to know the word. And hear me, I need the word to know me. And I need it to change me. And I need it to mold me into what God wants me to be. Not the other way around. I can't go up against this as if I'm going to take some what I like and leave what I don't like. It's not a buffet, but I've got to eat the book. I want to be a truth seeker. But not only that, I want to be a truth bearer. In the face of any opposition, I want to be able to stand on two firm feet and say, I know what I know what I know. And this world didn't give it to me, and so therefore the world can't take it away. Come what may, whether we, whether we stay here through the worst times that we ever have or whether we're taken out before it ever happens, I want to be able to stand on two firm feet and say, God, I believe your word because I found that it's true. Because absent truth... Deception abounds. Daniel prophetically speaks of a dark time. and He reiterates an importance of knowing God and knowing his word. He said that they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength, shall take away the daily sacrifice, and they shall place the abomination that maketh desolate. And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries. But the people, but the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. And they that understand among the people shall instruct many. Jesus said that it would be so bad in the last days that it could even be possible that the very elect would be deceived in Matthew 24. But when we know the word and when we know him, we cannot be led astray because the foundation of God stands true and it stands firm in any situation. Knowing is noble. This is a noble thing that we've been called to. Peter said that we're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, 
this is nobility. Not saying that we're better than anybody else, but what God has revealed to us is absolutely noble. Come on, think about that for a minute. You've been called. You've been given the truth. We ought to stand in humility every day to say thank you, God, for revealing your truth to me. I don't ever want to take it for granted. So it's noble to know this. Rightly applied, the word of God is nobility. And so we should give ourselves to the study of it. Toby, I'm talking to me. Our best efforts. Acts 17, Luke recorded a time when believers in Thessalonica sent Paul and Silas away for their protection. These men, they went to Berea and the believers there who followed the same truth, the same doctrine. They followed the same doctrine of the new birth. They believed it. But these people in Berea, the Bible says, were considered more noble than those that he had left in the last city. So what could determine that? Well, the word says these were more noble in Acts 17 and 11 than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. And so the Bereans, their willingness to engage the word of God on their own. We're not taking this with a grain of salt. We're not taking it at face value. But what you say, we're going to look after it. We're going to search it out. And we're going to get this for ourselves. That result, what came from that, and their ability to do that, meant the conversion of prominent Greek men and women in their day. And so hear me today. We've got the word of God. We've got the ability to study. We've got more things to help us study than anybody in this in this last generation has and so we can know the word of God and if we know the word of God I believe that we can be a part of the greatest revival that this earth has ever seen I'm hurrying I'm hurrying so knowing the word it connects us to timeless truths it it connects us to the wisdom of God and it gives us the power to do what God has called us to do. Romans 15 and 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. The historical accounts, the truths written in this book, they were written to teach us that through patience, the word, which is a steadfast, endurance document provide us both knowledge of the past and hope for the future what God has done coupled with what he is doing right now they teach us to trust him for the present and they give us hope and and, and the ability to trust him for the future because I've said it before God never changes so knowing the word will bring us into a deeper understanding of truth which will bring greater liberty and holiness. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. We're sanctified, John said, made holy by the word of truth. But that only happens by constant exposure and study and repetition. Isaiah 28 and 10. 
for precept must be upon precept. Precept upon precept. Line upon line. Line upon line. Here a little and there a little. So conditions in Israel were bleak at the time of Jesus' birth. The nation was occupied by Rome and was ruled by a cruel king. Judaism had for most been reduced to an externalized religion. Even Jewish leaders were worldly and or double-minded. But in this dark time, people like Simeon, people like Anna remained dedicated to the word of God and remained keen to hear his voice. A faithful remnant remained because they were diligent in the word and led by the Spirit and because it, because of it, they saw the coming of the Lord. Likewise, we too stand at the cusp of prophetic events taking place in our lifetime. Jesus' disciples came to him and asked, What shall the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world be? And Jesus begins to lay out the blocks, the events, wars, rumors of wars, pestilences. He goes on to say that immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. He said, but of that day and of that hour knoweth no man. No, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But here's the thing. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and they were drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And so on the world stage right now, in our in our world right now, hear me now, the horizon doesn't seem to be very clear. Or does it? Or does it? On the world stage, it seems bleak. It seems uncertain. It seems like we don't know what's coming next. But we, we might know what's coming next. He's already told us what's coming next. We, what we can expect. There's mass confusion and there's anger abounding in the streets. People are literally running into the ditch believing whole truths and whole lies, but God is not the author of it, nor is he off put by it. His plan has been implemented and his plan will come to pass. This world has ebbed and it has flowed in and out of turmoil and extravagance. It's gone from confusion to everything seemingly okay. On one hand, you have death and dying, while on the other, you have people living life as normal, like nothing is going on. But hear me today, just like in the days of Noah, so shall it be in our day. The Word of God has warned the word of God has prophesied of his first coming but the word of God has also warned and the word of God has also prophesied of his second coming and the first came to pass and honey you can rest assured the second one will too and so the onus 
lies upon you and I. The onus lies upon us. On four, I'm ending, I'm ending, you can stand. On four separate occasions in his correspondence to various individuals regarding the establishment of higher education, Thomas Jefferson used this phrase, knowledge is power. In one such correspondence, he wrote, knowledge is power, knowledge is safety, and knowledge is happiness. If we were to apply that statement to the Word of God, I don't know what he was talking about. He could have been talking about anything. But if we apply this statement to the Word of God, I believe that to be a true statement. Knowledge is power. Knowledge is safety and knowledge is happiness because we can know his plan. If we know his word, that knowledge becomes power to know and to do what God has called us to do. If we know his word, it becomes safety that we can rest in the truth of God's word, which is a firm foundation. And I believe that as we search the scriptures, our knowledge will deepen and our understanding will grow, bringing greater joy into our lives that can affect the world around us. I don't know about you, but I want to know his word. I want to study to show myself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Would you lift your hands right now and would you pray and ask the Lord to touch your heart and your mind. Lord, we want to become truth bearers. God, we want to become truth seekers. God, we want to know your word more than anything else in this earth, God. We want to know you and you crucified, Lord. We want to know you in the power of your might. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Come on, one more time. Lift your voice to heaven. We want a deeper commitment to you, Lord. We want to do your word. We want to do the truth of your word in Jesus' name. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.